0: Amen, church family. We are talking about the humble love of God today. I'm so, so excited to be back with you again this week as we continue this movement towards Easter uh, that we've been going over. Now this is our second week. Started last Sunday. Uh, talking about the passion. Remember while Jesus was hanging on that cross, it wasn't those nails That held him up there wasn't the fear of the Roman soldiers or the Jewish, the hatred of the Jewish elite that held him there. It was his passion for humanity that led him to take the punishment in our place. Jesus gave up his life so that we might have eternal life. And we learned last week that he was fueled by this unconditional and sacrificial love. And God the Father so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God gave us the greatest gift we could ever receive. And that was Jesus, through whom we might all experience everlasting life and forgiveness. I want to share with you a story this morning. There was a Spanish runner named, uh, I missed his name, there it is, Ivan Fernandez Anaya. And he was running second. He was second place in the 3,000-meter steeplechase in the 2012 London Olympics. And as the runners came towards the finish, he was resigned to the fact that he was going to finish in second place to Abel Mutai from Kenya uh, by a distance that was too great to overcome. He had no chance of winning. Uh, Again, he was just resigned. I'm gonna finish second place. I'm gonna be fine with that. Then Mutai made a big mistake. Thinking that he had crossed the finish line, he pulled up 10 meters short. Anaya quickly thought to himself as he quickly caught up, his integrity sort of kicked in. Instead of exploiting Mutai's mistake and crossing the finish line first and taking the gold medal in the Olympics, he stayed behind and he gestured to Mutai to finish so that he could cross the finish line first. And they asked him afterwards, why in the world would you give up the opportunity for a gold medal because of somebody else's mistake? And Aniyah looked at him and said, he was the rightful winner. He created a gap that I couldn't overcome unless he had made that mistake. And as soon as I saw that he was stopping, I knew I, wasn't, uh, I knew I wasn't going to pass him. I wasn't going to do it. And he said this. He said it's better to be proud of a silver medal honestly attained than to wear a gold medal than wear a gold medal that rightfully belonged to somebody else. You see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 the apostle Paul is talking about this generosity and this giving spirit. He concludes the section by uh, proclaiming in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The gift that he's talking about is, of course, Jesus Christ. And it was a gift to all of humanity that Jesus left his heavenly post to be with us. He was fueled by love, as we've already talked about. But if love was the fuel, then I want to share with you over the next three weeks some of the additives that went along with that, that were also present in Jesus' life. And it was a gift to all humanity. And today we're going to talk about the irreplace- one of those irreplaceable additives called humility. Jesus was and is still today the humble king who came to save a world that was so desperately in need. You see, I want you to see this morning that Jesus gave up heaven to come to earth, to live as a human, to die as a human. Jesus chose humility and living to serve others, offered up his life as a ransom for everyone. It was an act of love that caused him to be given the name above all names. And we have that same responsibility, church family, to choose humility over self. And just like we talked about last week, to love others humbly and sacrificially. So let's look together at a specific passage of Scripture that helps us to understand how Jesus displayed this passion for all of the world to see, both on the earth and on the cross. So if you will, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. 1 through 11 this morning. And I'm going to ask you, as you're finding your place in the Bible, if you would please do so, if you are able to do so, please stand for the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing. Here's what he has to say about Jesus. We begin in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. If then... There is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ, Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray this morning that you would hide me behind your cross and give me your words to speak today as I stand as a dying man, preaching to a dying people about the miraculous treasure of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to put others before ourselves, to be obedient and faithful in your high calling. And we pray this in the mighty and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I want you to notice this morning that Paul calls us to have the same mindset as Christ before we are told what that mindset is. I wonder how many of us on some level of conditional faith might say, God, I'll go. I'll do what you're calling me to do, but only if it aligns with my own priority, my own list, my own schedule, and my own comfort zone. Paul, more than many, became. Uh, he, he came to understand that those who are used by God for great things are often far outside of their comfort zones. He knew that all of his life, everything in his life, had to be surrendered to God. Which begs the question for us today, have we surrendered everything that we have to God, including your thoughts, your mindset, the way that you think? Because the very first thing that we have to think about when we talk about humility is in the way we think. We have to think in humility. George Bernard Shaw said this, Those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. I love that quote. I stepped on my toes this week. Those who cannot change their mind cannot change anything. And if you're going to think like Christ and have the mindset of Christ, I imagine most of us here today are going to need a fairly drastic form of mental reform. Thankfully, the Bible has some very specific instruction and encouragement about the mind and the thoughts therein. And one of them, the most, one of the most well known comes from the book of Philippians, just a a couple of short chapters ahead in uh, Philippians chapter four, verse eight, where it says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So often in life, our thoughts wander to the dark places. We can get ourselves stuck somewhere. Even to begin to believe things that simply aren't true. I'm sure there are many here today who would say that they struggle with this very thing. I know in the past I have. The antidote, Paul says, is to focus your thoughts on true things, on noble things, on praiseworthy things, on pure and loving things, anything that is above board, anything that is admirable, which is obviously easier said than done, right? But it's a good reminder for us that when the mind starts to wander, It's a great place to start if you want to have the mindset of Christ. But the other encouragement for us this morning comes from Romans chapter 2, which gives us extremely practical mindset advice. It says this, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do not conform to this world. Do not be trapped by this culture. Don't turn on the television and watch the news and think that that's the mindset that we should have. Can I just tell you, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm not the one to stand up here and, and, and beat this drum all the time, but I'm telling you, the, the media and the news on both sides... Is just garbage. All this world is trying to do is just trying to pit you one against another. I'm telling you, if CNN had a weather report and they walked outside and said the sky is blue today, I swear Fox News would come out and tell you it was red. And vice versa. It works both ways. All they are trying to do is make us divisive in this culture today. But the Bible says that we shouldn't be conformed to the patterns of this world. They don't give you the mindset of Jesus Christ. Instead, we are to what? We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind through the power of the Spirit, through the reading of scriptures and prayer. You want to change your mindset? Get in the Word. Have conversations with God. Have a conversation with God. You pray to Him and tell Him everything you need to say. And then you read His Word and shut up for a few minutes. And let Him speak to you. Let Him speak to you through His Word. And then you will better know the will of God. And the will of God was at the forefront of the mind of Christ. In the Gospel of Luke, we get a picture of Jesus praying to God on the Mount of Olives. Luke chapter 22, verses 42 through 44. It says this, it says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. You see, Jesus was in anguish when he prayed. Even still, he humbled himself to the point of saying, God, whatever it is you called me to do, I'll do it. If there's any way that this would pass for me, if there was any other way that we can do it, I'm fine with that. But God, your will be done. Your will be done. Three times the gospel writers tell us that Jesus prayed, Lord, if you're willing, Lord, if you're willing, Lord, if you're willing, please take this away from me. Why? Look at the cup. What's so special about the cup? Take this cup away from me. Lord, if you're willing, take away this cup. Because the cup has two meanings. First, what Jesus was asking to take away, it wasn't the cross. It wasn't the pain. It wasn't the humiliation of being hung there nearly naked in the middle of public for everyone in the town, in the whole city of Jerusalem to see. It was God's wrath. That's what He didn't want. The Bible often symbolizes God's wrath as a cup full of strong and destructive drink. Like wine that intoxicates and causes men to stumble, so the wrath of God will make men stagger in His judgment. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 17 says this. It says, wake yourself. Wake yourself up. Stand up, Jerusalem. You who have drunk the cup of His fury from the Lord's hand. You who have drunk the goblet to the dregs. The cup that causes people to stagger. It's his judgment. It's his wrath. Revelation chapter 14 verses 9 and 10 says this, says another angel, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. You see, in order to save sinners from their sin, the Lord Jesus Christ would have to drink or suffer that wrath in our place. The cup contains God's righteous fury against all of the sins of the world for all time. And Christ took it all. The Lord knew that he came into the world for this very hour and for this very purpose. John chapter 12, verse 27 tells us this. It says, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. But this hour has purpose. And it's so unimaginably stressful that even the son of God asked three times for this to be removed from him. Can you imagine being judged for every sin of every person who has ever lived? That is the cup of God's wrath. But I told you it has two meanings. You see, this is also the cup of God's salvation. It's the cup of God's salvation. The bitter wrath results in our sweet rescue from the condemnation of hell. In that agonizing scene of prayer, God the Father did something that he had ne- that, that something that had never happened between God and Jesus. The Father rejected His Son. Though the Son of God prayed three times to have this cup removed, each time God the Father returned a silent no from heaven. The prayer that saves sinners was actually a prayer that was denied. The Father said no to Jesus in order to say yes to us. We tend to think that God's plans are accomplished by his saying yes to us. But here with his only son, the father accomplishes our salvation by saying no to his son. Jesus must drink the cup. Our greatest deliverance came from an unanswered prayer. Jesus had a mindset of humility in his darkest moments. Humility requires a mindset of self-denial. But, in, but thinking in humility, church family, does nothing if we do not act in humility. You see, because Jesus not only had a humble mindset, but he also had a humble posture. As Paul relates our Philippians message Philippians 2, verses 5 through 9, it says this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider it equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, By becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. You see in Philippians chapter 2, Paul pleads with the people of Philippi to adopt Jesus' death as the central outlook or the central mindset of their lives. And as we've spoken about, his death for us was an act of total humility. Jesus acted in humility in the most unbelievable way. He did not count His godly nature as something to be taken advantage of or something to hide behind. Instead, He willingly chose to make Himself nothing by trading His godly nature for that of a servant. He acted in humility. He became human. He was born into a poor family. And the rest, they say, is history. I want to share with you a couple of illustrations this morning. There's was a $20 purchase in a thrift store of a couch for a bunch of New York college students. And having a college student, I can appreciate finding a $20 couch, right? That's pretty awesome. But they purchased this lumpy old couch from a thrift store. And they were shocked when they began to investigate why is this couch so lumpy, right? They were trying to figure it out. So they started taking off all the cushions. They started digging in the couch. And what they began to find were envelopes. Envelopes that were full of money. $40,000 to be exact. And a deposit slip attached in there. You see, the, the lady who previously owned the couch was afraid of the banks. And her family had tried to convince her that she needed to deposit that money. And so they had put everything together for her, put the money in envelopes, had her fill out the deposit slip, but she never took it to the bank. She hid it in the couch. And one week, while she was in the hospital with an illness, they decided they were going to go to her house and they were going to clean things up and they were going to buy her some new things and they took that old couch to the thrift store. And it got sold for $20. But the friends found the deposit slip and they tracked the lady down and they gave her back the $40,000. And they asked, why did you do it? I mean, technically it would have been yours. If you bought it with the couch. And they said, no, we never looked at the money as ours. It didn't belong to us. We spent $20 on a couch, not $20 on $40,000 in a couch. The money belonged to her. I want to share with you another story this week, one a little more personal. Now, I I realize the conundrum I'm in when I tell you this story because we're talking about humility. And one of the things about humility is you don't tell anybody what you're doing. I realize that. However... I want to share this story with you because I completely believe 100% that no matter what position I'm in, if I'm in leadership in this church, then I need to lead like I want our people to act. So I share with you this story for that very reason. There's a young man who, not a young man, an older fellow, sorry, who I I had the young people on the... (laughs) I, I, I think I'm still secretly hoping for a fort, to find $40,000 in my couch. Um, there was an older gentleman who had been calling the church. He was in the hospital. Um, and he had been asking for some help. Um, those of you who have seen the, the red bicycle that's been outside the church for the last few weeks, it belonged to this particular gentleman. And he had left it here because he knew nothing would happen to it while it was here, while he had to go to the hospital. And he spent the last month in the hospital. And this Tuesday, he got out, and he came to see me and Shirley here at the office. And he was sharing with me some of the things that he needed, but one of the things that he needed most, and I completely agreed with him, he needed the back tire on his bike fixed, because it was flat. I had gone out and looked at that bicycle and I said, you need way more than a back tire. The seat was falling apart. The handlebars were falling apart. There were no grips on it. Back tire, the chain was rusted, all of those kinds of things. And so as a church, as part of our benevolence, we went out and bought that gentleman who is still homeless this this is what he told us he needed. We bought him a new bicycle. But as I was driving to do that, I was thinking to myself, you know, I really wish there was something that we could do to solve his homeless problem. And there's not a lot of things that we can do. Um, not not in the short term anyway. But I also remembered that that night it was going to be about thirty degrees. And I said, you know, I don't want this guy being cold. We, we can do something. And I had talked to him, and he had said, no, he was, he was fine where he was. He, he liked where he was. Okay. So as I'm driving to get the bike and purchase the bike, I went back inside. Because I knew he needed other things. And... To back up the story just a little bit, to give you my side of it, um, it's just been kind of one of those couple of weeks where, you know, I got a kid in college, I've got another one that, you know, goes to private school, and, and listen, the Lord blesses us, this church blesses us, we're fine. But every once in a while, we have to, we have to watch what we're spending, we have to be very careful. This week happened to be one of those weeks. But the Lord was impressing upon me this humble love, this sacrificial love. We need to do something else. And so I went inside, back inside, and I bought book bag, water bottles, blankets. Bought Ziploc bags. I don't know why I bought Ziploc bags, but I figured, you know, you might need some Ziploc bags just to keep things dry. We put Bible in there. We put all kinds of other stuff in there. Stuff out of my, our own pocket that the Lord just impressed upon me, we need to do. Listen, that fellow has had some things in his life that we would probably look at, and immediately in our brain, we would just turn him off. He's gotten in trouble with the law in the past. He's done some things that we would probably just don't want anything to do with you. But isn't that what Christ did for us? He loved us, even though some of us and myself probably more than others, he should have just wiped his hands with me and said no. We have to realize that it's not about us. It's not about our own desires. It's not about what we think. It's not about who we think deserves the help. But it's about being the humble, sacrificial love of Christ for those around us. And, you know, sometimes stories of great humility that we see, especially when we talk about those college students, you know, who gave back the $40,000. There had to be some double, some, some second thoughts in that. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. <laughs> sometimes we look at stories like that, right? And we want to offer admiration to those involved. Obviously, the example of Jesus who gave his very life, he sort of serves as the gold standard of humility and sacrifice. But maybe sometimes those stories that we tell are so striking because they're so rare. It's become almost unbelievable to us that people would take time out of their busy lives to serve and love other people, especially other people who the world has written off. Which is probably why Joel, Jesus told us to act in humility, to serve, to love one another, and to give glory to God in the process of doing it. Because listen, humility is fundamentally about other people. It's not about us. One of the things that I've, we, Tori and I, have raised our kids to, to do and to think, to have the mindset of, and I've tried to do with uh, my youth group as well, We have this thing called being others-oriented. We be others-oriented. We're we're always thinking about others. I'll I'll sacrifice myself just so other people are in comfort. But listen to me. It's not about thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Right? Right? Focusing your time, your energy, your thoughts on other people. Becoming more we-focused and less me-focused. Because you see, humility is a consistent state of grace in our lives. It's the same grace that God had for us when he sent his son to die on the cross. And it should live in our hearts and our minds every single day. It pleases God. It preserves the soul. It gives us peace. And it gives us patience. You think about that. People pray for patience all the time, right? I've been one of those people who, who unfortunately prayed for patience at some point without knowing that God doesn't just dump a truckload of patience on you. He gives you opportunities to practice patience. But what if patience started with humility? It's not about me. It's about them. It's about understanding where they're coming from. If it begins with humility, then patience follows. Christ has given us the example of humility. That humility should lead us to remember that we have sins as well. We need to look at others with the same humility and understand their struggle with sin as well as ours. Humility is so powerful because being selfish is our normal operating procedure. It's where we normally stand. And Jesus taught us to break the norm, to be radical, to be different, to love other people. And it starts with how you think. It grows into selfless acts of service for other people. And it continues in obedience to the great calling of Christ in our life. So we've talked about how to think in humility, how to act in humility. Lastly, today, and very quickly, I want to talk about obedience and humility, obeying in humility. One of the most important steps that we can take as it relates to mirroring Christ's humility is the step of obedience. It's one thing to act in a humble way towards other people, but it's another to obey humbly before God. Paul says that when Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Frequently, a lot of times, obedience may cost something while birthing something wonderful. Do you remember the scene in Scripture when Jesus is sentenced to death? Mark chapter 15 Verses 1 through uh, 15. I want to read this to you. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders and scribes and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests tied up Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Because that's what they had been accusing him of, right? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You say so. And the chief priests accused him of many other things. And Pilate questioned him again. Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they're accusing you of. Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. Verse 6. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as as was his custom. And Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that they would release Barabbas to them instead. And Pilate asked them again, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And again they shouted, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Even Pilate, The one who gets to decide Jesus' fate does not believe that Jesus has done anything to deserve death. And yet he sentences him. This is what obedience to the Father looked like for Jesus. Jesus is humble in his obedience. Look at that interaction he has with Pilate. Pilate asked Jesus if he is the king of the Jews as has been reported. And Jesus says, basically looks at him and says, if you say so. It's almost as if he's saying, yep, I'm a king, but I'm not the kind of king that you're thinking of. Because remember what Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate looks at Jesus and asks, are you going to do anything? Are you going to say anything? Are you going to try to defend yourself? But the humility of Jesus, knowing that what was going to happen to Him was not about Him, but about you and me and the Father above, in humility, did not defend Himself, did not preach a sermon, did not tell them anything. He did not plead His case, but He accepted that His innocent blood was going to be shed for every one of us. How often do we pray something similar as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, may Your will be done. There's something humbling about realizing how incapable we are to save ourselves. We are called to entrust that part of Jesus' sacrifice This is what obedience look, looks like for us day by day. It looks like bowing before Christ every day on our knees, inviting him into our story and thanking him for his sacrificial love. And that sacrifice is what obedience cost Christ. It was his very life. But what did Jesus' obedience birth? The Bible makes it clear that Jesus did not stay dead Instead, all of the pain and all of the suffering in the life of Christ served a purpose. Everything bad that happened in Jesus' life served a purpose. Do you all know where I'm going with this? It does in our lives too. Everything that happens to us serves a purpose. Romans 8.28 Right? For we know that all things work together. For the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That verse just will not go away. (laughs) Jacob's going to come this morning and he's going to start playing for us. As we close this morning, I want to take a time of invitation today. And Jacob, as soon as you get up here, just go ahead. Go ahead and start. All along, God was working in the life of Jesus. And the same is true for us, church family. God is able to use every situation, every frustration, every obstacle, every last thing for the good of those who love Him. And as we learn to trust Him, as we learn to value, we learn the value of obedience and faithfulness and humility, it leads us to look more and more and more like Christ. John chapter 15, 9 through 13 says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You see, in this passage, Jesus invites his disciples and us to remain in his love and to keep his commandments. He invites us to be obedient. And then he offers a new commandment, to love one another the way that he loved us, to lay down our lives for others just like he did. To lay down our time, our treasures, our talents for the benefit of others around us. So consider the road of humility this coming week. Where are the areas in your life you need to think about others? You need to put them first. You need to trade your comfort, your convenience, and your life for theirs. That's my invitation to you today. Would you pray with me? Father, as we enter this time of invitation, I pray for no spirit to move but your Holy Spirit today and that we would answer the call that you are putting on each and every one of us in this room. God, please remove all of the distraction and all the impulse to hear anything but you and your call this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, are you living a sacrificial, humble life? Is your concern more of yourself or for those around you? When situations and circumstances come up in your life this week, were your thoughts on you or were they on others? It's not a normal thing for us to think of ourselves. It's not a normal thing for us to lay down our life for others. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So this is my challenge for you today. Are you living a life of humility? And if not, do you need to confess that to God and ask His Holy Spirit to show you this week where you can be more humble? The altar is open for everybody right now. If you feel God calling on your heart right now about humility in your life, then come now. Don't wait. Just go ahead and come. But there's another question that I have to ask. Because a life of God-like humility can only happen when we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to save us from our sins and give us new life. Charles Simeon said this, he said, We cannot have one spark of real humility until we are abased or ashamed before God as guilty, helpless, and undone creatures who have no hope, but in the tender mercy of God in Christ Jesus. You see, our sin separates us from God. We cannot have heaven here or in the hereafter without the atoning, substitutionary, humble and sacrificial love of Jesus Christ that He gave us and trusting Him alone for our salvation. So if your desire this morning is to come and to make a public proclamation of the change that Jesus has made in you today, by trusting in Him completely, then I'm going to be down here in front in just a moment. And that is my prayer that you answer His call this morning. Let God move in your heart today. Let God chisel away who you are so that you can become who He wants you to be. So that you can love others with humble, sacrificial love. Father, we thank You. And as we enter into this time of invitation, Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move in our people. And if there's work in their heart that needs to be done by you, then, Father, I pray that they would come to this altar and they would have it out with you right now, that they would let you work in their hearts right now to affect change in their lives. And Lord, as we stand and as we sing and as Jacob leads us, I pray that our people would fall to their knees today, Lord, in humble obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.